Yeah, I was just joking with the ladies I was sitting with that this talk was written for an event we were supposed to do in July and lockdown happened, so I feel like I've been carrying it for an extra six months. Um, so I'm really keen to do it today. Uh, thank you all for coming. I add my welcome uh, to you, Stacey. Um, so, uh, what comes to mind when you think of the word clean? Is it freshly washed sheets on the bed? Is it sea air? as you exercise along the Blue Mile track? Is it the smell of bleach? Um, my name's here, she uses lots of bleach. <laughs> um, uh, eating mostly natural, unprocessed foods. Kids enjoying the outdoors. Um, is it a calm and organised head? Um, probably a combination of those things for most people, I think. During lockdown, we received lots of messages about keeping well, um, and I noticed a lot of crossover between wellness and this kind of clean living idea. Um, and I was just reminded of how blessed we are to live in a place where we still had access to fresh food and sunshine and beautiful outdoor spaces, um, as well as our healthcare and hygiene and those sorts. Certainly in light of COVID-19, um, we've had to think of a lot more about what clean actually means, haven't we? Um, and the concept of something being unclean or defiled um, probably hits a lot closer to home. I remember in the, uh, the thick of lockdown being a bit frightened of going to the supermarket and I would take extra hand sanitizer just in case I happened to have to adjust my mask and then I could quickly wash my hands before I had to go and touch fruit and vegetables again. Um, and we seem to think there's something naturally good about things being clean. Uh, I know I feel pretty good about myself when I have cleaned my house, and even better if I have got time for a nice hot shower afterwards, um, or if I manage to uh, do the right thing by my body and the environment by walking somewhere instead of driving. It makes me feel pretty good too. Um, what is it for you? What are the things that make you feel clean? Uh, not just physically clean, uh, like the hot shower, but um, mentally and emotionally and morally or spiritually. Um, do you have patterns of doing things that make it feel more clean? Uh, if you're unsure, if you are a person who likes patterns or not, just think about the process that you use for cleaning your washing um, or like washing your clothes, or uh, how you stack your dishwasher, maybe, or if you definitely don't use a dishwasher. Um, these things can get a bit divisive, can't they? Everyone thinks they do it the best. Sometimes the way that we do something has just as much of an impact on how clean it feels uh, as the cleaning itself. And when we develop a sense of attachment to a pattern, we might call it a ritual. Um, maybe you spring clean your house every three months. Uh, maybe you do some sort of yoga or mindfulness activity regularly. Or maybe you're one of those amazing people that have a zero waste home. Um, as someone who loves routine and patterns, I want to say that patterns and rituals can be really great. Um, but have you ever stopped to ask why? Why is it so good to be clean? Maybe our desire to be clean is protective. Dirt carries germs and germs can make us sick. Um, maybe it's because we're wired to enjoy organisation and things being clean helps us to feel more kind of in control or less distracted. 
Um, or maybe that we think there's certain social expectations that we have to have things clean and we don't want to be judged. So if you think about that 15 minutes before someone comes to your door and the mad cleaning that you're doing before they arrive. Um, I do that one a lot. <laughs> Whilst all these things can be true, uh, I don't think they quite get to the heart of our desire uh, for things to be clean. And it might surprise you to hear that I think the part of the Bible that we're going to have read in a moment uh, helps us, even in this day and age, to understand why we're like this. Now, you would have gotten this piece of paper. I saw that most people have one. Um, you'll see one side has a lot of text on it uh, and it goes over to the back as well. Um, the paragraphs we've got here are actually uh, from the Bible uh, and so that you get to hear someone else's voice for a bit, uh, Emily's going to read this out for us um, and you can follow along uh, as she reads for us. Um, so here we meet a group of people uh, called the Pharisees who are joined by some teachers of the law. 
Uh, these people were the religious leaders of the nation of Israel at the time and they had a really high social standing um, and they were really powerful because they both made and kept all of the social rules. So we read that they routinely did special washing of their hands, cups, pitchers and kettles and they couldn't eat unless they did this. Initially, perhaps, uh, these rules were created with good intentions of making sure they didn't offend God or hurt one another. Um, after all, we now know through science uh, that washing our hands and our utensils is a protective thing to do. It can protect us against harmful bacteria and different sicknesses. Uh, but we're not actually talking here about hygiene. We're talking about traditional ceremonial type washing. When I worked uh, as a dietitian, uh, I spent most of my time helping people with different kinds of eating disorders. Uh, and one of the questions I'd asked them when I first met them was whether or not they had any uh, traditions or rituals uh, or patterns around food. And I have to tell you, it was really heartbreaking to hear some of the things that people would put themselves through before they could give themselves permission to eat. Something that should have been simple and natural became a real burden for them. Uh, Took extra energy out of their day. uh, And when people started to collect rituals, so there were more and more things they had to do, Uh, it just became a really difficult time for them. Uh, This year, I've spent a lot of time reading through the history of Israel as a nation um, as part of the course I've been doing. If you're familiar with it, you'll know there are plenty of ceremonial washings uh, and other rituals that the Israelites were supposed to do to keep themselves clean enough to relate to God in a meaningful way. I went back and I reread a lot of these rules in preparation for this talk Um, just to see where these ones that are being debated actually were and I couldn't find them. They had been made up by the religious leaders over time. They'd been collecting rituals uh, just like the eating rituals that my clients had developed. Um, Some of these religious rituals became a real burden for the regular people. Um, It made it harder for them to demonstrate their relationship with God. It was something that should have been a natural part of their culture and yet it became a load that was heavier and heavier over time. Remembering um, that this was a time where water didn't just run from a tap, you had to go and collect it from a well and bring it back. So you can imagine the energy that goes into that several times a day. Jesus was making these religious leaders uncomfortable. Uh, He challenged their way of doing things, particularly where they were abusing their power in this way, and people were starting to follow Jesus instead. And the religious leaders called Jesus and his disciples out for eating with defiled hands uh, because they hadn't done the ceremonial washing and in response Jesus calls them out on their hypocrisy. <laughs> so we can see that Jesus hates hypocrisy just as much as everybody else. Actually, probably more. Um, he then gives another two examples of rituals that the Israelites were supposed to follow as part of expressing their relationship with God. One about honouring their parents as they got older Uh, And this has been distorted by those same leaders. Uh, They gave them an excuse to keep their money, apparently for God, um, but actually it left their their ageing parents without any social security. Um, And remember back in that day, no superannuation, no aged pension. um, They were quite destitute. Uh, And the second thing that Jesus talks about is these food rules. The Israelites were told they were allowed to eat certain animals and other ones they had to avoid. Uh, This meant that they were able to relate to God in an appropriate way and you might 
um, know that Jewish people uh, sometimes will continue with these uh, different traditions. So not eating pork is a pretty well-known one. Um, Jesus goes and turns these rituals on their head, uh, in a sense. While the religious leaders were building themselves up with their own sense of self-worth by exercising their social status and creating more and more rituals to follow uh, in the name of clean living, Jesus reminds the people, and even more so his little close group of followers, uh, that the rituals weren't actually there to make them clean enough to have a relationship with God. The rituals were there to remind them of the relationship that Israel already had with God. So they didn't need to add more and more rituals on top of the ones that God had actually given them himself. And because Jesus knew that he was going to facilitate an even more personal relationship between people and God, uh, he was able to free them from these extra rules that the religious leaders had given them um, and allow them to eat whatever foods they wanted because no food rituals could bring them closer to God or further away. Okay, right now, this might seem all a bit distant and foreign, um, but people are people are people. And I've been realising through reading through the history uh, of Israel, humanity as a whole doesn't actually change as much as we'd like to think it does over time. Uh, History tends to repeat itself. We are still looking for ways to make ourselves clean, to give us a sense that we're good people, Um, And I'm going to be using the words good and clean interchangeably going forward, just so you know. The food rules might look different now, um, but having spoken with lots and lots of people about their relationship with food over time, I can assure you that most people have their own food rituals in place. Um, This is a really widespread thing. We're not just talking about diagnosable eating disorders here. We're talking about diet culture. We're talking about this kind of subclinical... level of disordered eating that is really widespread in our society. Uh, For some people, uh, their food rituals are just a familiar pattern. You might have the same breakfast every morning and that is not an issue really. Um, But some people have rituals in place um, that actually do cause significant health problems. Uh, And, um, sorry, (laughs) some of these problems have become uh, so normalised in our society that we don't even see them as problems anymore. Uh, We tell ourselves that rules are good and we need them to keep us healthy. So have a little think about Christmas, um, the types of conversations you're going to have around food uh, at Christmas time and then after Christmas comes New Year and then we get the ads for the diets and the gym memberships because we all scramble to regain a sense of control before the New Year happens. Clean slate for the new year. Um, an extreme example of clean eating uh, is a condition known as orthorexia nervosa, uh, which is a fixation on healthy eating or having the correct diet. It comes with rituals about what, um, when and how to eat, fear of contamination of the healthy body, um, and interestingly, this sense of moral superiority. So much so that other areas of life suffer. Now, of course, as I said, that's a very extreme example. Um, But don't we all know people who have restricted their eating in some way to feel better about themselves? Maybe this has been you. Maybe it is still you. I know it's been me in the past. 
What I thought was particularly interesting in the research uh, is this sense of moral superiority that comes with the diagnosis of orthorexia nervosa. I think if we ask someone why they cut out a particular food group or why they were eating only one meal um, on certain days of the week, they'd probably tell us it was about feeling good within themselves. This can mean physically, there are definitely conditions where changing your diet works really well. Um, but a lot of the time, this feeling comes from a sense of being in control. Um, and not many people would be honest enough to tell you, or they may not even be aware, that part of the reason why they like it is because it makes them feel morally superior, makes them feel like a better person for following these rules. Um, though that has come out in enough of the conversations that I have had with people that I don't doubt for a second that that's part of the appeal. We live in a society that tells us we're lazy or we're irresponsible if we're not diligent enough with our choices. So just like these people Jesus is talking to, we use the idea of this clean lifestyle to make ourselves feel like better people. And if we're not careful, uh, these are the things that can also lead us to judge others. My question is though, what happens when we can't keep it up? When we lapse in our behaviour despite our convictions and we're reminded that actually part of the human condition is that we are not perfect. We aren't in control of ourselves or the world around us. When it comes to food, the scientific evidence is clear. The minute we start to feel deprived is the minute that we set ourselves up for eating more food. And then we eat more and we feel less clean than we did before we started and the cycle continues over and over again. Clean living is not just about food. Food is obviously an example from uh, my previous work. Um, but clean living is a much broader idea. Um, we're increasingly aware about the impact of our choices on our environment. I try where I can to be eco-friendly in my choices. I use cloth nappies for my kids. I have Norwex cleaning products. Uh, I went from plastic bottles of soap back to bars. Um, and much to my disappointment, my body has absolutely let me down. My skin is so sensitive uh, that the washing of the cloth nappies left my hands so dry and cracked. They split all the time, all the time. And it's not great to have your natural germ barrier compromised when you're dealing with washing nappies. Um, so sadly, I moved to disposables. Uh, and whilst I didn't need to, I felt so convinced that cloth nappies were the responsible choice that I felt guilty every time I tossed one into the bin. It was very humbling. And it showed me how much I was actually relying on that to make myself feel like a better person. Isn't it ironic that washing nappies made me feel cleaner as a person? And you'd think that I would have learned, but apparently I didn't because I got the same feeling of guilt when I went from Norwex cleaning products, which is a sustainable cleaning product, back to normal chemicals for my cleaning. I have arthritis in my wrists and they couldn't handle the scrubbing. It just, it wasn't working for me. And I can't use vinyl soap anymore. I have to use the Dermis Gentle Cleanser in a big plastic bottle. And so I buy lots of plastic bottles. And I go through several pairs of disposable gloves every day because it stops me from having to wash my hands so much. Um, eventually, no matter how hard we work, we will be reminded by something or other that we are not as in control of our cleanness as we think we are. 
So why do we continue to strive for these clean lives? Is it just to impress the people around us? Because if that's the case, I think that is super depressing. Is it to feel good within ourselves and the world isn't it going to offer us you know, options that are going to make us vulnerable to this continuing cycle of working hard and then feeling rubbish when our efforts don't work the way we thought they would. Where's the solution in that? I've contemplated this question a lot uh, for myself and with other people and what I found to be true is that the words of Jesus in this part of the Bible actually make a lot of sense. Jesus tells us that we're defiled or unclean from our heart, from the core of our being. And these things, uh, things generally are not meant to be this way. The Bible says that when God created people, it was good. Everything was good. The environment thrived. The people thrived. They were healthy and happy and they had purpose. Everything was in its place and it worked the way it was supposed to. Relationships were truly functional. And most importantly, the people had a fulfilling relationship with God. It was clean, just like a sparkling new bathroom or kitchen. Jesus is quite honest in pointing out that this is not the way things are now because we people have ruptured, broken our relationship with God. Our sense of what's clean has become tainted and yet we still long for things to be restored to the way that they were. A bit like how I feel cleaning my shower two years after we installed our bathroom. As much as I would like to, I just cannot get it back to the state it was when it first went in before we used it. Um, Now, if you have a look at your piece of paper, in those last two sentences, so if you're on the front, you need to click in back. In the last two sentences of the passage that Emily read for us this afternoon, Jesus uses the word evil. Now, evil is a strong adjective and one that we don't use much in our conversations. And that list that Jesus gives is quite confronting especially because so many of these evils are an accepted and celebrated part of our culture. We often don't realise what's happening, like how the, uh, the soap scum slowly builds up on the shower screen or when you're eating chocolate and you don't realise until that last piece is gone that it's melted onto your fingers. Hold on to that image because I'm coming back to that one. Sometimes it can be easier to see the evils listed there in someone else or in society as a whole. Um, I hear about the way that people treat other people and I am repulsed. I hear about uh, what's going on with the environment. I think about what's going on with the environment and how people have disregarded it and I feel sad and ashamed that people have been so selfish. But it's really uncomfortable to think of myself as arrogant or greedy or malicious. Having said that, I would be 100% kidding myself if I chose to believe that wasn't the truth. I know my first reactions to things and they're usually pretty selfish. I can put a lot of effort into behaving in a way that hides this, but even then, I'm not always very successful. If I didn't have a defiled heart, this wouldn't be an issue. It would just come naturally, but it doesn't. We're used to the ideas of clean and natural going together, but when we come to people, Actually, the ideas of natural and clean are more like opposites. Going back to that melted chocolate image, which I hope you held on to, it doesn't bother me much when the chocolate is on my fingers. But you had better believe that I am cringing when my kids wipe their sticky fingers on my clothes or on my arm or through my hair. (laughs) Yuck. (laughs) 
When it's on my fingers, it feels more contained. It feels like I can deal with it myself. I'm in control of it to some degree. I can pretend my fingers are clean when I lick them. They might be visibly clean enough so that other people don't notice they're dirty. But the truth is there are actually more Nazis on my tongue than there are on my chocolate fingers. We can become quite used to our own selfish attitudes in our hearts, but it often feels like much more of a problem when we're impacted by someone else's selfishness. The only way to clean chocolate properly from your hands is not to lick it, it's to wash it with soap and water, or in my case, the Dermis Gentle Cleanser. But what do we do when the uncleanness is in our heart? When it's ready to bubble up, and you know, become thoughts and actions that are potentially very harmful for the people around us. Now, thankfully, when Jesus came to earth, came to earth, he didn't come to point his finger and judge us. He came to offer us a way to clean our hearts. And what a relief it was for me the first time that I learned Jesus knew what was in the depths of my defiled heart, and instead of being repulsed by it. He loved me. He loved me so much that he willingly took on my uncleanness so that it didn't fit with me anymore and it sat with him instead and it cost him dearly. And he didn't do it because I'd followed the right rules or rituals but because of his love and compassion. We can see when we look around at our world that we are not doing a very good job of looking after it or other people or ourselves. The reason for this is that we have that ruptured or broken relationship with God. Instead of caring for others the way that we're supposed to, we're taught that it's the survival of the fittest or that we need to live our best life now because we've only got one. And these ways of thinking result in some pretty selfish behaviour. We might share what we have with the people that we love, but on the whole we remove ourselves from caring for people outside of our circle by focusing on our own wants and needs. Uh, As an aside, just think of how many industries make money off of that sort of thing. As Christmas rolls around, it's going to become more and more obvious. Uh, I'm so pleased that we have the opportunity today to push back a little bit against that materialism with our uh, fair trade pop-up over there. I hope you visit it. Jesus was never selfish the way that we are. He didn't have a ruptured relationship with God. The Bible is full of examples of Jesus' great compassion where he uses his power and resources not to make himself feel better, not to be looked upon better by other people, but to genuinely help them for their own, for their benefit, not for his. And the ultimate example of this is where he gave his life on the cross so that we might not have to do so. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, he's done that for you too. Uh, He's taken your naturally defiled heart and he's made it clean. He's restored your relationship with God so that you can overflow not with evil thoughts or with judgment, but with love. And yet, don't we still find ourselves trying to be cleaned by our own efforts? If we're not careful, we could become just like those hypocrites that Jesus was confronting Some small examples. I'm going to challenge you to invite someone over to your house without having specially cleaned it in advance. (laughs) If that's a bit confronting, invite a family with small children because they won't bat an eyelid. (laughs) 
about why you're exercising. Is it actually to look after your body? Did it happen if it's not on Strava? Could you go a day without feeling guilty? Catch yourself before you say something about having to be good with your food or complimenting someone because they've lost weight or bragging about your latest eco-friendly cleaning system. Look for opportunities to use that clean heart to show love because we have been shown so much love. None of our achievements or our rituals make us more or less clean in God's eyes if we trust Jesus. Now, if you're here and you aren't a Christian, gosh, I'm glad you're here. This is a great opportunity to reflect on the messages society gives us uh, and the reasons why we do things. But whether we're a Christian or not, we all struggle with relying on our own efforts to make things better inside us and around us. You could be the most diligent, organised person who exercises regularly, invests in sustainable products, gives to the needy, avoids using a car, thoughtfully remembers people's birthdays and has an impeccably clean house all whilst avoiding caffeine, sugar and preservatives. And I would give you an A for effort. But isn't it exhausting? Isn't it exhausting trying to keep up with all those expectations, whether they're self-imposed or from society in general, Trying to be the best version of yourself, knowing that you still won't be able to please everyone. You won't even always be able to please yourself. Unfortunately, it's just part of the broken world that we live in. You will eventually let yourself or someone else down. And how do you deal with that? Do you sweat it out? Do you scrub it away? Do you distract yourself with some sort of self-care activity? Wouldn't it be nice to be freed from that burden, knowing that the God of the universe already knows your heart, including the things that you prefer to shove in the spare room and shut the door on, and yet he chooses to love you anyway, to erase the stain and allow you to be totally clean, not just now, but forever. Of course, and please hear me when I say this, there is nothing wrong with looking after our bodies or our mental health or our environment. But... If these patterns of clean living are what we're relying on to make us feel like good people, we're going to be disappointed. We will be forever chasing that feeling by following more and more rituals until it starts to have a negative impact on things like our mental health or our physical health. I'm going to ask you uh, to keep thinking about this. Keep asking why these things are so important to us and take the time to consider, especially over Christmas and New Year, whether there is perhaps some relief to be found in having a clean heart rather than just a clean lifestyle.